Hi, thank you for joining us here again on Honor of Kings on Kingdom in Context. This week, we're still looking at the apocalypse of Abraham. We're going to be uh, finishing the remaining four or five chapters. And uh, man, this one's amazing because we're actually, Abraham's going to get to see not only the first coming of the Messiah, but also the second coming. We're going to get to look at this behind the scenes moment with Judas betraying him and kissing him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, it's an amazing episode. Stick with us till the end. Welcome back, guys, here in Honor of Kings. This is episode 19. We're still looking at the Apocalypse of Abraham, and I'm Sean Griffin, accompanied by my incredible co-host. Ken Heiderbrecht. Hey, Sean, how's it going? I can't believe we're on episode 19, brother. We're, we're two episodes away from completing this first season. That's just how time has flown. Man, we're, it's, it's been a great first season. Um, and this, I, I think there's probably no better way we could have ended this season than what we're doing here, finishing up the apocalypse of Abraham as he sees these amazing things about the Messiah um, leading up to the day of the Lord and also how it points back to what we were reading a few episodes ago, I think it was episode 15, where we're reading the Babylonian Raiders and the Lost Ark. Because uh, we got here from Second Baruch, basically. We were in the Apocalypse of Baruch. And some of the content therein led us to the test, the same content being described in this book, The Apocalypse of Abraham. So next week, we're actually going to be going back to the Apocalypse of Baruch because now the Apocalypse of Abraham is leading us back there. <laughs> yeah. because the material parallels so wonderfully and we're going to get to test that not only continue to test this one against the american count 66 but we're going to parallel back to the apocalypse of brook and test that one again as well for the last episode yeah it's been a really fun extra biblical game of hopscotch sean i mean yeah if it wasn't for this book of the apocalypse of abraham i mean we would have what we have today, in my opinion, this misunderstanding of what's going on in Genesis 15 or Jubilees 14, this covenant moment, right? And and as Sean has already said, the reason why we're here is because in 2 Baruch chapter 4, where um, Yahweh is telling Baruch that the city that he was witnessing being destroyed or going to be destroyed isn't the one that was revealed with him where he is in his domain in the heavens. And so we get to see that Abraham was shown paradise while among the victims of the portions or the portions of the victims rather. And so that's what led us over here. And this book has just been such a huge blessing, Sean. I mean, what an eye-opening amount of content in this relatively short book, eh? Yeah, this is this is a great little book. And Ken, just, just in case it's a viewer's first time if they're to see us here on our Kings, uh, the whole purpose of this show, just so we remind people, is that we're looking at some of these books that are either in different canons other than the American canon or used to be in the American canon and they've been taken out, right? These are considered to be what we call apocryphal books or pseudo-epigraphal books. And these whole, our whole premise here is to look at them and see what's in these things. What, what's, what are they actually saying? The content and see if it lines up thematically and theologically with the content in the American Bible that we have today, right? So if we can line them up and they're saying the exact same thing, maybe we have second uh, second witnesses or third witnesses or fifth witness, you know, to what the same thing that Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Jesus said. And it's we're seeing some fascinating things here in the Apocalypse of Abraham that lines up wonderfully with the canon as well as even the Apocalypse of Baruch and Ezra's as we uh, as we've talked about in previous episodes. Yeah, exactly, man. And 
I've said it before, I want to say it again. These books are essentially gap fillers for the Canon I-66. Yeah. A lot of, there's a lot of silence and, you know, seemingly missing information in our, what we call 60, the 66 books. So, and this is, this is why there's so many, so much infighting, right? Amongst believers is they, they run across certain passages in the modern Bible collection we have today. And there are plot holes. There are places in there with that lack description and explanation that have caused people to do their best in jumping to a conclusion to make sense of it. But yet not everybody agrees with that conclusion because it takes, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't fit logically throughout the rest of the book or theologically, if I could say it like that. Therefore, it causes people to come to a, a, a fork in the road. They either say, well, I'm going to trust that this man's interpretation of this is correct, or I'm going to create my own interpretation. And suddenly, after 140 years, you have tens of thousands of denominations. So you have the people of the same faith all promoting a slightly different variant of how they read scripture and creating personalized clubs as a result of it. <laughs> and then where's the unity in the body, right? And this is this is the problem that we see. Yeah. And Sean, you've said it before, you know, like any other book, we want to see how things line up in terms of the plot, the characters, just the overall timeline. And it's essentially the, the, the Bible, the scriptures is the only book where you can read it and you can have a hundred different opinions on what's going on in one chapter. Right. So if we think about, as you said before, you read any type of book, right? I, I'm a Lord of the Rings fan, Sean. So I'll, I'll say the Lord of the Rings. If we had that book and people were yanking out pages and chapters out of that book and you were to give it to someone to read, they would have differing opinions on what's going on in even that book, I would say, right? We don't see that going on in those books. But when we go to the scriptures and we go to, you know, the, the whole breadth of these ancient writings, it's the same thing, in my opinion, Sean. If we if we can just see that there are some books that were removed that are definitely going to aid us in our understanding for helping you know, clearly comprehend the rest of the scriptures or the full foundation of, you know, the theological concepts that are there. Yeah. It's, it's only going to help us understand the book as a unified whole, as you said, right? So it will get rid of the end fighting. It'll get rid of all these denominations and doctrines that have been made up over the last however many years. And, and we can come to this book understanding it as we would any other book, right? Yes, absolutely. So for example, in Hebrews chapter 11, you see Abraham being mentioned and saying that he knew the place where he was sojourning in the land of Canaan was not the promised land. It was not the um, the ark, the built the city that was built by God, right? So how did he know that? We don't get that information in Genesis. Yeah. So how did he know that? Well, the apocalypse of Abraham goes. This whole book is about that, about how he gets that information. You know, and it's kind of like, yeah, you know, modern movies, right? You just mentioned Lord of the Rings. I know, you know, in our current 2018. You know, one of the modern big, big hyped up comic book movies are really popular. Right. And so within the comic book movies, you know, for a lot of people out there, they'll kind of get this reference that you've got all these these Avenger movies that are coming out. OK, and they have multiple characters inside this movie. And as a result of that, each of these characters will sometimes get their own movie just so you can understand more about that character behind the behind this, the, the other storyline that they were integrated into. So Abraham is a huge character integrated into the overall narrative of the scriptures, yet he has his own story. And, and that's where some of these other writings came in 
And that gives us the understanding of, oh, well, that's why Abraham made that decision. Oh, well, that's why he knew what he was doing there. Or that's why it speaks about Abraham like this. And so, um, yeah, it's just, it's it's wonderful. And we get some, same thing with, with the Apocalypse of Baruch, like we were less testing a few episodes back, right? Where we actually get him understanding what paradise is and what the true tabernacle was because Baruch was so, um, was emoting and was so sad about the destruction of Solomon's temple so that the father was having to remind him and encourage him. This isn't the true temple that the true temples in heaven It's my paradise and it's going to come down. We see that as the new Jerusalem later, you know what I'm saying? Yes. So, I have. so that in a sense, that's the new Jerusalem. The true tabernacle of God is its own character in the story. And we get more information about that character in some of these books that have been taken out of the Bible or not included by the Catholics in, in this American canon we have. So that's where, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I know, I know that we, we get our, I, I know what I just said, but King James took the books that were available to him from the Catholic Bible and then translated them into English and put certain books in there. And so a lot of people, you have to do your own homework on that one as far as how King James collected his first Bible in 1600s. But ultimately, it was just a carryover from the Catholic canon, basically. Yeah. So there wasn't really much of a change. Um, so, yeah, it's it's interesting that we think it's important that people really get a grasp on the overall narrative of the story. And this is what we try to flesh out as we go through these apocryphal books and these extra biblical books. Yeah. And Sean, today's episode... Um is really going to make a lot more sense of what Yeshua said in John eight fifty six, where he said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So this episode, brothers and sisters, is going to show us what Yeshua was referring to. And an argument could be, well, maybe Jesus, he, you know, he knows everything and this and that, and, and we don't need this extra information. He just knew that Abraham saw his day somehow, right? And it didn't have to be written down. I would say no. Yeshua referred to these books, these texts, you know, his father's word, a lot so let's get started john yeah brother you want to read the first chapter absolutely all right we're in the 28th chapter starting verse one here and it says and i answered and said "O mighty one hallowed be your power be favorable to my petition and show me because for this reason you have brought me up here whether what i saw shall happen to them for a long time and he showed me a multitude of his people and said to me, on their account, through four entrances, as you saw, I shall be provoked by them. And in these shall my retribution for their deeds be accomplished. But in the fourth descent of 100 years, even one hour of the age, the same is 100 years. There shall be misfortune among the nations, but also for one hour, there shall be mercy and honor among those nations. So just for the viewers understanding, if they haven't, watched us up to this point sean um abraham was taken up to the highest firmament and we're told there's seven layers of the firmament in this book and he gets to see a, a bunch of them and what's contained within them and he's at the very top he is at where the most high is he's literally at the most high he's up there on the same firmament with our father and so he's seeing this stuff and he's asking him all these questions that um, these prophets tend to ask when they're um, having a discussion, they, you know, they're corresponding with the father and they're asking these, you know, every kind of question you would, uh, you and I would want to ask. Right. And so same thing with in, the, in this chapter. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, 
and he's about to be shown something unique about the end of the age, which I think is is really cool. And it's it's talking about it though in this concept of here just uh, being he calls it the fourth descent is of 100 years, even one hour of the age. The same is 100 years. So he's trying to give us a, a qualifier, I think, about how we're to look at some of these things that are about to be explained to us as far as what Abraham's seen. Yeah, in my opinion, John, it's it's kind of um, running in tandem with the idea that a day with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. So mm -hmm. we're getting kind of a snapshot here of another kind of um, denomination of time, I guess, right? Yeah. So is that in this vision, one hour of the age is like 100 years to him. Yeah. So in these snapshots of hours that he's about to see. So, yeah, absolutely, man. Um, can we read 29? Yep. Chapter 29. And I said, Oh, eternal one, how long are the hours of the age? And he said, 12 hours have I ordained for this present age of ungodliness to rule among the nations and within your seed until the end of the times it shall be even as you saw. And now reckon and understand and look again into the picture. And I looked and I saw a man going out from the left side of the nations and there went out men and women and children from the side of nations, many hosts and worshiped him. And while I still looked, there came many from the right side, and some of these insulted him, and some of them even struck him. But others, however, worshipped him. And as I watched, I saw Azazel approach him, and he kissed him on the face, and then stood, beside, stood behind him. And I said, O eternal one, who is the man insulted and beaten, who is worshipped by the nations and kissed by Azazel? And he answered and said, Here, Abraham, the man you saw insulted and beaten, and yet worshipped by many. He is the relief granted by the nations to the people who proceed from you in the last days, in the twelfth hour of the age of ungodliness. But in the twelfth hour of my final age will I set up this man from your generations, whom you saw issue from my people, and all who will follow him, excuse me, all who will follow become like this man, and such as are called by me will join the others, even those who will to change within themselves. And as for those who emerge from the left side of the picture, the meaning is this. There shall be many from the nations who shall set their hopes upon him. But as for those who you saw from your seed on the right side of the picture, who insulted him and struck him, many shall be offended in him, but some shall worship him. And he shall test those of your seed who have worshipped him in the twelfth hour at the end, with the view to the shortening the age of ungodliness. Before the age of righteous begins to grow, my judgment shall come upon the lawless peoples through the people of your seed who have been separated unto me. And in those days, I will bring upon all creatures of the earth ten plagues through misfortune and disease and a sign of their grief. And this shall be brought upon the generations of men on account of provocation and the corruption of mankind, whereby they provoke me. And then shall righteous men of your seed survive in the number which is kept secret by me and will hasten the coming of the glory of my name to that place prepared beforehand for them, which you saw devastated in the picture. And they shall live and be established by sacrifices of righteousness in the age of the righteous. And they shall rejoice in me continually and receive those who return to me in repentance. For great shall be the inner torment of those who have despitefully used them in this world as they observe the honor placed upon my own in the day of glory. See, Abraham, what you have seen and hear what you have heard and take knowledge of all that you have come to know. Go to your heritage and behold, I am with you unto the age. Sean, there is quite a bit here, isn't there, brother? Man, there's so much in here. There's so much. We're going to try to, uh, for the viewer, we're going to try to do our best to not spend the rest of the show on this particular 
<laughs> this particular chapter. Uh, Even though we gonna, totally could, we could break this into a couple episodes, couldn't we, Sean? I know, man. And maybe we'll do that in, in future episodes or next season or something like that. But yeah, yeah, we'll come back and revisit this one and just, just oh my goodness. Um, all right, brother, first thing that pops out to you. Well, for me, um, I thought it was interesting where we see that Abraham sees Azazel approach yeah. the man who comes from the left side of the picture. And what does he do there, Sean? He gives him a kiss on the face. And for me, it was just, oh, where have we seen that before? Where do we see anywhere in the scriptures Yeshua being kissed? This is the Judas moment. Yeah, exactly. So, Sean, I just got Luke chapter 22 pulled up here. I'm just going to read that real quick. Starting in verse 3, it says, And Satan entered into Judas, who was called Iscariot, belonging to the number of the twelve. And he went away and discussed with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. They were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and began seeking a good opportunity to betray him to them apart from the crowd. So right there, Sean, in verse 3, we have Satan entering into Judas. Now, is this not yet another allusion to Azazel and Satan being one and the same person? Yeah, yeah. As, as we've talked about in the Book of Enoch from, I think, episode 2 forward, you know, from many different episodes, we've had to discuss this idea of pinning down the, the name of this character, Satan, because Satan's just a title. So that's where we're getting another direct reference that this Azazel character is the name of the Satan character. Yeah, exactly. And then further down, Sean, in the same chapter of Luke, chapter 22, in verse 47, we actually see this moment where Azazel kisses Yeshua through That's Judas, right. where it says, while he was still speaking, behold, a crowd came, and the one called Judas, one of the twelve, was preceding them, and he approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Interesting, brother. Yeah, it's it's amazing that Abraham is getting to see this particular moment of all moments. Yeah. You know what well, I mean? Yeah, and my, my question, Sean, is... Is this Azazel, who is an angel, is he actually going into Judas? Is he possessing him in some way? Or is it through Jubilee's 10 fashion, is he using his minions that he is prince over and they're doing his bidding by, as we know, demons can absolutely oppress and possess people. Is that what's going on here, Sean, that through yeah. agency? Yeah, nowhere in scripture do we ever get the explanation or even the example of an angel being able to possess anybody. That's not the nature of their bodies. That's not the nature of, of how they how they work. That is the nature of demons, of unclean spirits, right? Because they are without a body, as we've went over in multiple episodes. And Enoch, was it 15? And Jubilees chapter 10 explains this to us in great detail. That's is right. that this is where the unclean spirits came from. Um, this is where, you know, we, I think it was episode four or five here in honor of Kings where we actually went over the origins of demons, and where they came from. So go back and check out that episode. I'll flash the thumbnail up here on the screen. So the idea here is, yes, through as we read in Jubilees 10, and we and we explained in, in previous episodes, these unclean spirits were made subject to Azazel um, after the flood so that he can kind of work his will upon the earth and try to test mankind, oppress mankind, and do his, you know, do his bad stuff, right? And this is where Azazel is always just like you know this concept of agency like you and i have talked about multiple times whereas the father does stuff the father gets the credit yet he sends his angels to literally carry it out same thing with the prophets same thing with the priests same thing you know what i'm saying this same thing with his son yeshua 
the father always gets the credit. It's the father doing these things because he sent forth people to do it. This is how authority works, right? This is like just the president of the United States is blamed for everything that anybody does because he is their leader, right? That's how it works. So right. same thing with Azazel. Azazel is going forth with his minions, the unclean spirits, to do things. And yes, an unclean spirit would go into Judas and cause Judas to, you know, to act wickedly, basically. Um, because Judas left himself open for this because he did not truly believe in it. His heart was not circumcised as a disciple of Yeshua to, to truly follow the Father's ways and with obedience to Yeshua, right? So he was definitely left left open as a vessel for use by Azazel. Yeah, exactly. And Sean, just just for future for clarity for the viewer here, the book of Jubilees actually refers to Satan or Zazel as mastema, which is a Hebrew word that just means animosity or hatred yeah. or enmity. So, yeah. yeah, very interesting indeed, man. What else we got here? Uh, we've got basically um, Romans 15 and Isaiah 57. We've got the nations on the left side that came out to him that we were reading about. They come out to... Um, I think this is in verse um, those who issue from you. So we talk about, yeah, they come out on the left side. Yeah. 55 there. There will be many from the nations who shall set their hopes upon him. And the hymn of course is referring to this, this one that's being called the relief, you know, um, the man from the seed of Abraham who will be set up in the 12th hour of the age of ungodliness um, that the father is setting up as relief to the nations. And this is why the nations will hope in him. The Gentiles will hope in him. This is where that phrase comes from. And it's uh, it's lining up with prophecies in Isaiah. And also, you know, in, in the book of Romans, we have Paul repeating this, this concept as well. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of runs in, in tandem with Noah's. Noah's name means rest, right? Yeah, Noah's, Noah's name means rest. Relief. We got, and this is the whole purpose kind of of when he ushers in this period of relief as the reliever is this shalom in the earth that we have in this millennial era and, yes um, there remains a sabbath rest which is why isaiah 11 says the nations will not will no longer learn war they'll beat their their weapons into plowshares um so they're not going to be taught war they're not going to be practicing war all war will go away and so the, all the nations that are survived the day of the lord that are not inside the new jerusalem will come to the new jerusalem the house of god for relief right they need provisions food water resources medicine and uh, that's why they're going to hope in him because he's he's been prophesied to be that for them. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, we, we just get further descriptions here um, with what Yeshua went through just before his crucifixion, right? The night before, um, where it says that he, the man that Abraham saw would be insulted and beaten. And so he was definitely, he was mocked, he was insulted, he was beaten with many stripes, um, he was scourged ultimately crucified on a cross. Um, but then he's going to be the relief granted to the nations yeah. that, who, who have worshipped him, right? So there's going to be obviously people worshipping him as well. Um, and I would even say, Sean, that this, this seed that comes from the right side, um, this Abrahamic seed, it kind of runs in, in this understanding of not everyone, just because they claim descendancy from Abraham, is going to get relief from this reliever right first you have to have faith in the fact that the father has sent his son to provide this salvation this relief for them 
And we, we see this today, Sean, we see this back in Yeshua's day, right? Where they claimed, well, Father Abraham, he's our father. And, and Yeshua, what did Yeshua say to that? He said, well, those who do the commandments, right? Those right. who aren't of the, of the devil and his lawlessness, those are Abraham's seed. That's right. So, yeah. yeah. He was on Pharisees. If you, <laughs> you, if you did the deeds of Abraham, you'd be the children of Abraham. <laughs> yeah. Abraham so it just, I guess where I'm going with this, Sean, is that just because you're part of the olive tree, the natural tree, right you have, to, you have there's there's some requirements involved right you doesn't yeah. you can get broken off and then the wild tree people who are from the nations can get grafted into that commonwealth into that olive tree of israel and i, I think that's what we're seeing here is the mix the mixing of the both sides right that's right yeah there's it's just because that's what we actually see in the gospels we see people from judea that we would assume the majority of them are from the bloodline of judah of judah right which is where this term Jews came from, that Yehudim, is this concept that meant some of them did believe in him, and some of them didn't, right? The right. ones that didn't, they they shouted for his crucifixion, let his blood be upon us and our children. You know, they were deceived. And then those others stood by and weeped at the cross because they did believe in him, and they were of the seed of Abraham, both in faith and genetically from that time, you know. And so that's very interesting. And also at the, that part you're reading there, Ken, it says that they'll be tested. It says, and he shall test those of your seed who have worshipped him in the twelfth hour at the end with a view to shortening the age of ungodliness. And I think this is interesting because it actually mentions this in Matthew chapter 24, 22, where Jesus says, um, in those days uh, had not been cut short, nobody would be saved for the sake of the elect. Those days will be shortened. Yeah, right? yeah, it definitely that's where my mind jumped to as well when i read that that's yeah um, because the elect are those who worship him that's right and this is then the 12th hour right this is the context of this 12th hour which is at the end right. and so it's end. talking yeah. about a, a one a hundred year period right sean yeah which needs to be cut short that's right yeah it's very interesting and now we know that this apollyon character who does great persecution to the body of believers we get this in Revelation 9, 13, 12. You know, we get these different passages where it explains this stuff. Also, chapter 6, um, that he's given 42 months to speak blasphemies against the tabernacle in heaven, against those in heaven, and to speak blasphemies against God, and also to persecute the saints and overcome them. So this is where they could be referring to this hour of testing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, very interesting, brother. And then we can go along here to... Uh... The part where it says before the age of the righteous begins to grow. So we're, we're assuming that that means the day of the Lord, right? Yes. Yeah. Before the millennial reign. Um, his judgment shall come upon the lawless peoples. Lawless there. Um, emphasis on that word. And yes. again, for those who are watching who may not be familiar with what these terms mean, to be lawless means to be someone who is transgressing the father's instructions for how we're to live. Right, Sean? It's, it's his right. law. And it's uh, a, something that provides us with blessings and life. And it's just how we're supposed to interact with each other in the earth. And it's how we love God. So we see that um, there's a lot of lawlessness that's going on during this, this specific time period before the righteous uh, age begins to grow. Absolutely, man. That's a good and, then, and then what, you know, what happens from that, Sean? I mean, we see in those days where it starts talking about these 10 plagues. We got 10 plagues and this is, um, it seems to be 
to me, this seems to be day of the Lord plagues. Yeah, that's how I would understand it, Sean, because I well, know plagues leading up to the day of the Lord, all surrounding that day and all around that day. And just this, this time, what's called the time of tribulation. Yeah, exactly. And it's just interesting because it's uh, initially your mind wants to go to the Exodus, right? Yeah. But as we know, the Exodus itself with the Passover and all that stuff is, is all a foreshadow of what's to come during this age of righteousness that's going to be ushered yeah. in. Yeah. And my, might I say it's a smaller scaled foreshadow because yes. the day of the Lord is going to be massive scale. Like it's worldwide. <clears throat> it's massive. Yeah. So that's where, um, yeah, we're actually in the next chapter, we're going to expound upon those 10 plagues and what those look like. So it's yeah. going to be amazing because All it, right. it actually, and there's also here in chapter, um, or just a little bit further down, right after it mentions the 10 plagues that this generation we brought up on the generations of men on the account of the provocation and the corruption of mankind, whereby they provoke me. And then the righteous men of your seed survive in num in the number, which is kept secret by me and will hasten the coming of my, and the glory of my name to that place prepared before and for them. Um, to me, this is that moment of the first resurrection where if there are people that have been kept alive during all this trials and all this tribulation and all these things that are going on, that lead up to the coming of the Lord. This is what Paul's talking about in first Thessalonians four, where he says those who are alive and remain. Yes. That's right. Will not precede those who have fallen asleep. And so this is some of those people that are surviving, um, that will be changed in the twinkling of an eye at the first resurrection as he shows up. Yeah, absolutely brother. And then even further into that, we have this concept of those who survive this wrath, uh, of the day of the Lord here, they're actually given the opportunity to repent and return and right. take part in something interesting during that, you know, millennial reign era. That's right. Yeah. Because this is this moment where, um, Oh, I'm sorry. One second. And it says, um, and they shall live and be established by sacrifices of righteousness in the age of righteous. <laughs> so wait a minute. Did it just say they shall be established by what? Sacrifices of righteousness. Yeah, Sean, I think that implies sacrificial system of some sort still. So this is a point of, of note that we just want to remind the viewer, especially if it's your first time watching us and everything. Um, this, you know, Kingdom of Context, the whole point of the show, of my channel, Kingdom of Context, is that I have a context tree with multiple branches of different themes that are repeated all throughout the scriptures. They're all interconnected, but at the same time, each theme has, is expounded throughout the scriptures in great detail. Now, one of the branches on the contracts tree is the eternal Torah, which just means the word Torah just means God's instructions for living, which he, the father, the creator, when he gave those instructions to mankind, he called them righteousness. And some of those instructions were sacrifices for feast days, for celebrations, for joys, for atonements, for sin, things like that. So as we've talked about in, in many episodes, um, I'm just going to give you a summary real quick, but I, you know, there's going to be, you know, just, there's a ton of things on my channel where we go over this in great detail is this idea that when the kingdom comes, which is this thing that was just referenced in this passage that was prepared beforehand for them, when the kingdom of God comes down to earth, the new Jerusalem descends and the resurrected saints are brought into it and preserved and live inside of it in safety. 
the nations outside that experience this cataclysmic destruction on the day of the Lord have to come to the city. Isaiah chapter 16, they stream to the city. All the nations come up before it for provisions, for food and water and, and refuge, right? This is why Yeshua is called the, the King of Zion, who is called the relief of the nations. So in this moment here, they're all, as Isaiah 2 verses 2 through 5 tells us, they'll all be taught the instructions of God that he's already given us in his word today. They're going to be taught righteousness according to his instructions for living while they're in their mortal bodies. So this is what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 10, verse 3, where he says, there is a righteousness by the law. <laughs> this is what, because he's quoting from Deuteronomy 6.25. <clears throat> but there in verse 4, he says, now Christ is the end of that righteousness. Christ is the principal aim, the goal, the finishing point, the the the, the what we aspire to become like, because Christ did it perfectly, of the righteousness of that law. But then as in Romans chapter 10, verse 5 through 10 expounds, as he's quoting from Deuteronomy 30, there is another righteousness that we get at the resurrection, which is we get all those instructions that were given to us by God. We get those ingrained in our being. It's called that he circumcises our heart to where we will do those instructions faithfully and without fail. So therefore, we will always be considered righteous. Whereas the people outside the city who are still mortal, who have not received their resurrection bodies, they're still learning the ways of righteousness and some of those are sacrifices, as we already talked about. So there's some big misconceptions we try to clear up here on Kingdom of Context, and even on this show here, Honor of Kings, as we go through the theology that is discussed in some of these books that lines up with the canon. And this is just one of them, because Isaiah 56, verse 7, the, that the people will do righteous sacrifices when the New Jerusalem is on the ground. Because yeah, they're being taught how. Yeah, exactly, brother. Beautifully stated. And it's interesting because one of the aspects of the resurrection promise is that people are going to be made into kings and priests, right? It's a royal priesthood. And so what we see here, I'm just going to reread it real quick. It's only a couple of sentences. And they shall live and be established by sacrifices of righteousness in the age of the righteous. And they shall rejoice in me continually and receive those. So the, the they who are receiving those is those who have resurrected into these king priestly status here. Yeah. Um, they were going to receive those who return to him in repentance. So this is the mortals that have survived the wrath of, of Yeshua on the day of the Lord. For great shall be the inner torment of those who have despitefully used them in this world as they observe the honor placed upon my own in the day of glory. So the honor placed upon his own, that's, that's also referring to those who are going to experience the resurrection. So right. the mortals are going to see these resurrected, perfected other former mortals into immortality. And so it's going to be as Baruch, I think it's, is it Baruch chapter 49, chapter 50, where it says that this is a sign for those people during that time. That yeah. They're going to see this resurrection. They're going to see, oh my goodness, look at this. Like, and it's going to, right. they're going to aspire to be like that. That's what, that's what they're going to want to and attain. We, we will be able to receive them in, as they turn to the Messiah in repentance because we are part of this priesthood now that's within the city. The Messiah is our high priest in the Melchizedek order. We will be like him in this royal priesthood, but we'll just be quote unquote lesser priests because he's got the main authority. But this is how we will be able to receive them when they come back to us or they come to the city where it says with inner torment. And you know what this makes me think of, Ken, is this dichotomy of 
the new Jerusalem on the ground is the, is the wedding parable of Matthew 22, where Yeshua says, had you get in here, throw them out of, throw them out of this place into the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yeah. Because outside the city, this is the people that have seen, Oh my goodness, this is real. The Bible is true. This is real. And there is a place where they're going to, you know, they have a choice when they come to the city because everyone's going to be forced to come to the city for judgment. So there's going to be a place here where the kings of the earth and those who have been in, uh, acting wickedly and destroying mankind and destroying the earth, they're going to come stand before judgment before Yeshua, as Enoch 62 and 63, Matthew 25 tell us, just as he separates the sheep from the goats. Well, those who are deemed for immediate judgment will be judged. But those who are spared and left, in my opinion, Ken, are the ones who are going to be coming in repentance because they're in inner torment realizing, oh my goodness, this is truth. This is real. I'm looking at the glorified resurrected people. I'm looking at the king of glory. I'm looking at the city that's 1,500 square miles. I realize we're in a big room. I can see the firmament above us. This is not, I mean, this is real. The Bible was real. And now I have a choice. I can either rebel against the authority of Yeshua, or I can have a tenderhearted moment where I realize we have inherited lies. And our fathers told us lies, and we are now coming in repentance to the Son. And it'll be the greatest. I mean, if people think that Acts 3, you know, they think Acts 2 in the day of Pentecost was like 3,000 people turning, you know, coming to the Lord in one day, and they think that's a big deal. I'm like, nah, just wait. Yeshua's got the greatest, the greatest uh, sermon and day of repentance we're ever going to see in all of history. It's the day of the Lord. Yeah, brother. I mean, I love the imagery that pops up when you when you say those words. It's just first John four, verse eight, right? God is love. Well, God is also mercy. I mean, this is just mercy embodied in this whole scenario. He just he's always giving opportunity, always, always extending that that ability for people to turn around, right? So well, it's just beautiful, Sean. Yeah, and I mean it's there it says when they observe the honored place upon my own. In the day of the glory that's the new jerusalem guys this is the this is the promised land that we're we're promised right now so blessed to those who take part in the first resurrection as revelation 20 verse 4 says because we get to go into this honored place this new jerusalem the paradise of god the house of god the, the coming mother above that you know it's it's amazing and they're going to see that they're going to see us in there as a royal priesthood in this promised land while they're outside in this devastated earth and they're going to come and encamp around the city which they will call, as Zechariah chapter eight talks about it, they'll call it the city of truth, um, the city where the Lord is, and they're gonna they're gonna be enamored, <laughs> yeah, with the the goodness. It's the goodness of God that draws men to repentance. Because what did God do when He showed up with His Messiah? He took out the wicked, those who were destroying the earth that are causing all these plagues, the the actual people that are doing the nitty gritty of going out and causing all this destruction, as we read earlier up. Actually, let's get to chapter 30 because it's going to actually explain some of these plagues and what's going down. Yeah, absolutely. So we're, we're kind of shifting locations, I guess, Sean. Right now, this next chapter, we're going to see Abraham back on the ground here. I can, yeah. I can read that. So chapter 30, but while he was still speaking to me, I found myself once again upon the earth. And I said, oh, eternal one, I'm no longer in the glory which is on high. And there is one matter which my soul longed to know and understand, which has not been revealed to me. I love this, Sean. Yahweh just allows him to ask his question. It's so beautiful. And he said to me, what your heart desired, I will tell you, because you have sought to see the 10 plagues, which I have prepared for the godless nations. 
and which have been predetermined at the passing over of the twelfth hour of the age of the earth. Hear, therefore, what I divulge, and so shall it come to pass. The first is the distressing pain of sickness, the second conflagration of many cities, the third the destruction and pestilence of animals, the fourth hunger of the whole world and its people, the fifth by destruction among its rulers by earthquake and the sword, the sixth the multiplication of hail and snow, the seventh wild beasts will be their grave, the eighth hunger and pestilence will alternate with destruction, the ninth punishment by the sword and flight in distress, and the tenth thunder and voices and destructive earthquake. Yeah, maybe Abraham shouldn't have asked that question, eh, Sean? Yeah, there's, is <laughs> a man. There's, he just got he got a lot presented to him. I mean, this whole this whole thing here, it's just truly amazing how much he's getting shown to him from the resurrected saints in the Garden of Eden to see Yeshua walking around as king, to see the temple that's going to be destroyed in the days of Solomon that we already talked about a few episodes ago. Uh, to, to being able to see the new Jerusalem that's going to come down, as well as all these incremental events leading up to the coming of the return, the second coming of the Messiah, and even little details like the Messiah's first coming and his crucifixion, his betrayal. You know what I'm saying? Like he's getting all these huge, important pieces that, to be honest, Ken, like, I, I mean, if you wanted to give him a summary, you know, a cliff notes of history what's going to happen you know to lead up to to the fulfillment of the covenant that he's in with with the father to get him into the promised land to get into the new jerusalem he's getting all of it right now you know but he's getting like some he's getting the the espn highlights <laughs> i know <laughs> it's true sean and it's, it's kind of interesting just even how when abraham says i'm not quite done yet yahweh i'm not there's one more thing and then he didn't even have to ask him he didn't have to say i want to know what these 10 what is this 10 plagues or whatever these things are yahweh already knew what was in his heart that what he wanted to know and he's like <laughs> you know what i mean yeah like it's just like i'm not in your glory anymore but i want one i want to know one more thing and then Yahweh's like what your heart is desired i will tell you and then he goes on to telling all the all the different plagues it's just i find that hilarious how yahweh knows already before abraham asked what he wanted to know <laughs> yeah it's pretty 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 cool father knows exactly what to say to him um which but yeah man we get like you said we don't get i mean this is rather vague it's it's freaky enough to you know, to, to allow your mind to go to a place in prophecy where obviously this is referring to a future event where all this takes place. And we see this in Revelation as well and in other books that we're going to eventually get to. But um, vague, in my opinion, John. Yeah, it's even more cool just seeing that the Father is everywhere, right? Um, the verse prior to that where it says, see abraham what you've seen and, and hear what you have heard and take knowledge of all that you have come to know go to your heritage and behold i'm with you into the age as he's saying that it's it just seems like in the next verse abraham is already going down to the earth and he's hearing the father say that to him as he's going down to the earth <laughs> you know what i mean he's like on the stop of this firmament here you always tell him all this he's hearing it all the way boom now he's on the ground and then he's like whoa I'm here again. And then it's like, well, I got one more thing I want to ask you. And he's like, fine, I'll just give you the answer because I already know what you're going to ask. Yeah. 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 I think that's how interesting though that the son 
also says this to his disciples as he's leaving. He says, you know, behold, I'm all, I'm with you always, even at the end of the age. Yeah. You know, as he's ascending. Yeah, so that is cool. Yeah. This is kind of the, the opposite of that. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I mean, we've I'm just amazed at what Abraham's getting to be shown. And now, of course, here in chapter 30, as you as you read, we've got the it's just broken down all these these 10 plagues that we're talking about. And the first one just seems to be the distressing pain of sickness. What do you think that is? Um, yeah, that's a good question, brother. Um, because they come in a sequential order, right? So I'm just trying to think if we are in these last days, if we, if we are in this last hour, this hundred year time period, um, this 12th age or 12th hour, whatever. And these are somewhere in that time period. I'm just wondering sickness. What, what could this what could this be referring to specifically other than sickness in general, like just like diseases and illnesses that we're seeing kind of manifest more and more. I know that there's discussions that the elite are making these super bugs and, and doing all this stuff and, and, and whatnot. But yeah. I, I mean, there could be truth to that. And, um, but also I just think that illnesses and diseases are going to start manifesting more because of this prophecy potentially. Yeah. There, I mean, there could be so many things. I mean, we know that, Revelation talks about there will be famine and plague and, you know, and all kinds of stuff. And a, and a third that there is the um, one of the four horsemen. Isn't he one of, of disease? I'm trying to remember. I'm going to go yes. back to that. Real quick. Yes. Yeah. Um, the pale horse. Was it the pale horse rider? Yeah. The, the pale or the green, pale green, whatever one. I could be wrong. Yeah, maybe it is the green one. Let me, let me go and look at it real quick. Um, so this is here in Revelation 6. Um, I looked and saw a black horse who sat on it, had a pair of scales in his hands, something like a center of the four living creatures, seeing a quarter of weave. So this is economic damage. Um, then in, in verse 7, it says, The lamb broke the fourth seal. I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come. I looked and behold an ashen horse. And he who sat on it had the name Death, and Hades was with him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with famine, with pestilence, and by the wild beasts of the earth. There so, we go with that wild beast. There you go. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. The beast being the grave or whatever. So famine and pestilence. I mean, that's pestilence is sickness. Yeah. So and the sword. Now we just read about all those things in a specific order here in the Apocalypse of Abraham. That's right. You know, because it was like uh, what the the first destru- destruction, the first plague is distressing pain of sickness. The second was the conflagration of many cities. Just so people know uh, that word conflagration, it means the extensive burning. <laughs> so that seems to me that would, would entail some bad things are happening, probably yeah. warfare. Um, and then the third destruction is or the third plague is the destruction and pestilence of animals. The fourth is the hunger of the whole world and its people. And the fifth is destruction by its rulers, earthquake and by the sword, um, which could be all those things could be exactly what we just read in Revelation 6 for seven and eight. Yeah, I mean, we are seeing animals dying off in, in large numbers, fish. Yeah. Well, I mean, marine life in those yeah. numbers, absolutely. And then there's continual earthquakes. We know those are birth pangs leading up to the big earthquake in Revelation 16, 18. On the day of the Lord, and then the um, the sixth plague is the multiplication of hail and snow, right? Well, we get 
Yeah, they say global warming, right, Sean? But I think that um, I've seen some good research showing that the Earth has gone through stages of like colder periods. And this could be one of those things, Sean, is that it's literally like the Earth is going to start being more of a um, colder climate. Well, we've seen, I mean, we've, there's a Time Magazine 1979 edition that said we're going into global cooling. But here in 2001, we got Al Gore saying we're going into global warming. Um, I, I think that that I don't know how to take that as far as what they're claiming to me. It, personally, I think some of it's kind of exaggerated for a tax scam. We do know there's changes upon the earth. I don't personally think it's directly because of products being made by mankind. Oh, I think it's more because of Revelation 11, because it talks about the people that rule the earth are intentionally trying to destroy the earth. So I think that that's where any changes in climate may come from. Yeah, I would agree, hundred percent. But uh, which doesn't but look yeah, very good for someone who's living up north here, Sean, in Canada, where it's already cold. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, if you're in the Middle East, you know, um, and you're anywhere around the area of of Israel, Jerusalem, or whatnot, and you get extra hail and snow. That definitely changes things. Absolutely. That's a totally different environment, you know, but. I don't know exactly where that. It just says the multiplication of hail and snow. So I don't know where that goes. That would also cause famine, in my opinion, because if you got regions of the world that are suddenly being hit with a lot more snow and hail, it destroys crops and messes yeah. up harvests. And so you get extended extenuating hunger throughout you know different areas, which is what the eighth plague says. There's hunger and pestilence will alternate with destruction. So yeah, if we've got right. Wars happening, earthquakes are happening, causing destruction. Uh, hail and snow are increasing, causing hunger. And uh, there's pestilence happening through disease, both with animals and mankind. All of it alternating within itself at the same time because these they're overlapping. And how long these things are happening? That's we read something like that, haven't we? In another book. Yes, we have. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we read about that in the Apocalypse of uh, Baruch, right? Yes, we did. Sorry, I was just focusing kind of on the um, where it says the wild beasts will be their grave. Um, that's still referring to the same horseman, right? Where, with the wild beast thing. I think so. Revelation six, yeah, or seven and eight. Yeah, it could be. What do you think that's about? Is that is that like yeah, wildlife? Is, is there like so much destruction on the earth that they're forced out of their habitats and they're kind of like, you know? Well, attacking people. <laughs> I, well, if you look at the actual uh, fourth seal in verse eight, it says, I look, behold, an ashen horse who sat on it had the name death and Hades was following with him. Well, I mean, it's very, this could be symbolic. I know a lot of people like to think that this is symbolic, but personally, I think that this is just another idiomatic term for Apollyon, which is named destruction that we see coming up in Revelation nine out of the pit. And with him come all these beast-like things that are described with all these these features that don't match and they are tormenting men on the earth for five months in revelation yes, nine yes. he needs to be incorporated that whole 42 month reign along with those chimeric entities that come out of the bottomless pit with him they need to yeah. be incorporated into this yeah, yeah just real quick i'll read revelation 9 verses 7 through 10 it says the appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle and on their heads appeared to be crowns like gold their faces were like the faces of men, yet they had the hair like of women, and their teeth were like the teeth of lions. 
They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was the sound of chariots of many horses rushing to battle. They have tails like scorpions and stings, and in their tails is the power to hurt men for five months. They have as king over them the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in the Greek he has the name Apollyon. It's just an idea. I think that it could be all these things that come up with him um, because it says that they're they're not permitted to kill anyone, but to, to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days, men will seek death and not find it. They will long to die. Death flees for them. Mm. So, yeah, interesting. It's, it's interesting to me that, um, is it only the five months that they can't, that they can't do anything against mankind. Yeah, I think there's a, an allotted number five months. What happens after the five months and these things are still hanging around? <laughs> it's really, yeah, good question. You know what I'm saying? I just I think that that's well. Do they do it for the the initial five months that kicks off the 42 month reign? That's what or I was thinking. Possibly the first plague could possibly be the distressing of pains. Of sickness it could be this this part here where they're for five months of torment like they're being stung um the, the stressing pain it's okay. just just trying to throw some ideas and see if uh if they match up but that because what we're doing is we're without creating an advanced timeline behind us we're getting into some really detailed descriptions here yeah and we're not just talking about big overarching themes anymore so and if you brother and sisters who are watching if you have any ideas or any Biblical references or EBIB references, throw them in the comments for us, guys. Now, as for what we just read about these plagues and all the different things that are happening, if, you, if you'll let me real quick, Ken, I'm just going to read Revelation 9, uh, 13 through 19, because it actually, actually through 20, because it, 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 we see a lot of parallels here. So it says, Then the sixth angel sounded, I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. One saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released so they would kill a third of mankind. The numbers of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And this is how I saw in the vision of the horses, those who stood on their riders had breastplates of the color of fire and hastened them in a brimstone. The heads of the horses are like the heads of lions and out of their mouth proceeds fire and smoke and brimstone. A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire, the smoke, the brimstone, which proceeded out of their mouth for the power of the horses in their mouths and in their tails for their tails are like serpents and have heads, and with them they do harm. And the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, so as to not worship demons and the idols of gold and silver and of brass and stone and wood, which they can neither see nor hear nor walk. They did not repent of their murders, nor their sorceries, nor of their moralities, nor of their thefts. So, yeah, there's just a, there's a lot of similar destructions being described. Yes, yeah, I mean, I was, I was just thinking, Sean, of Revelation sixteen four, where it talks about those, you know, the angels that pour out their bowls, and the one pours out his bowl into the rivers and springs of water, and they become blood. I think that obviously could definitely play a role in the um, the destruction and pestilence of animals. Um, Absolutely, and hunger, right? Yeah, hunger, and then we got wormwood. You know. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, there's so many different things that um, have to be incorporated into this time period, right? With all these destructions. And Which is why Revelation can be so confusing because these are many of these concepts can be overlapping, just as we read in Pax Abraham tells us. Yeah. 
Exactly. You know, it says that the, uh, this is the eighth, eighth plague. It says hunger, pestilence will alternate with destruction. So that means that they're both, they're all happening interchangeably at the same time. They're alternating. Yeah. Plus, where is it? Is it second brute, Sean, where it talks about there's an amalgamation of all those things at the end? Of, yeah, yeah, it's like number 27, I think it's chapter, uh, verse 9 or 10, that you're right. Yeah, which makes yeah, it even more confusing for us. 14, um, Revelation, or second, second Baruch 27, 14, For these parts of that time are reserved, and shall be mingled one with another, and minister one to another. For some shall leave out some of their own, and receive in its stead from others, and some complete their own, and that of others, so that they may not understand who are upon the earth in those days, that this is the consummation of the times. So it's just, it's talking about the 12 parts of just of plagues and things happening. Yeah. So, but actually I think Kim, we're going to dissect that even further next week, right? Yeah, we are. Absolutely. And we're going to do so with brother Adam from parable of the vineyard. Yeah. We have a special guest host with us next week. And we're all, all three of us are going to be looking at um, both second Baruch and also second Esdras talking about these 12 parts of plagues, which would yeah. be pretty fascinating. Yeah. It'd be a good episode. Right on, brother. Well, we can we can move on. Okay. Do you want thirty-one? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I can. I'll just do the the last two there. Okay, sweet. Okay. And then I will sound the trumpet out of the air. So after all this, guys, we got this this trumpet, and then I will sound the trumpet out of the air, and will send my elect one, having in him all my power in one measure, and he shall summon my despised people from all nations, and I will send fire upon those who have insulted them. And who have ruled over them in this age. And I will give those who have covered me with mockery to the scorn of the coming age. And I have prepared them to be food for the fire of Hades and perpetual flight through the air and the underworld. For they shall see the righteousness of the Creator and those whom he now honors. And they shall be ashamed. For I had hoped that they would come to me in repentance rather than loving strange gods. But they forsook the mighty Lord and went the way that they willed to go. Hear, therefore, Abraham, and see, for behold, in the seventh generation from you shall they leave the land of their slavery, after they have been ill-treated, as it were, for an hour of the age of ungodliness, and the nation whom they shall serve, I will judge. Wow, brother. Just, here we go, right off the bat, man. First verse of 31, we got the trumpet, the day of the Lord, I'll send my elect one. This is First Thessalonians 4. With the trumpet and shout the blast, the sound of God. Revelation 11, the trumpet sounds. This is the Messiah busting through the firmament with his angels to come down on the day of the Lord. Yeah, it's amazing. And I, I like how it calls him the elect one here, Sean, because we only really see that in Enoch, that title given to him. And then once, I think, um, I can't remember which gospel it is, when Yeshua is being baptized, where it mentions his name, the elect one. But that's right. Definitely talking about Yeshua. Definitely, you know. After all this suffering and death and chaos of 42 months of Apollyon and his hybrid entities that are along with him and tyranny and oppression on the earth, we have our our coming savior, right? This is this is the uh, the moment that we've all been waiting for. That's amazing, man. Which is why we read earlier that this is the time that has to be shortened. And it's it's shortened because the Messiah returns to save this is the savior doing the saving part, yeah. you know, <laughs> and Sean, I can't imagine that if, as we've read in second Baruch there, all these things are congealed into one 
how can anything survive a, an extended yeah. amount of time, right? It has to be shortened. <laughs> right. Which is, that's why I said, if it weren't shortened, no flesh would survive. Yeah. Because there's too much not in, simply because of the hunger itself. If to me, it sounds like, you know, the, you know, like you talked about revelation chapter eight, I think it's verse uh, two or three where wormwood does come to the earth and it poisons a lot of the springs of the water, the rivers and stuff. Then you've got um, other places where you got these massive earthquakes, uh, revelation 16, 18, Plus earthquakes leading up to that, which, which you know, apparently, the the earthquake that happens on the day of the Lord is so massive that all the cities of the earth are destroyed. But there's earthquakes even leading up to that that destroy stuff. You also have wars that we know about are going to be happening continually, as well as cities are being burned, as we just read in Apocalypse of Abraham. Plus pestilence, wild beasts. I don't know exactly, you know, what that. All the zoos are going to be broken open and animals run around killing people. In addition, or is it these specters that we're talking about that we've we researched uh, from Apocalypse of Baruch that are coming out that are called the Shadim, basically unclean spirits that have been given a body to run around and do stuff, um, which is horrible, right? Which is crazy. And this is why you would have people in flight and distress, people under persecution. And the reign of the beast, the reign of Apollyon is for 42 months only. That's the only amount of time he's been given to walk in the authority of Satan and rule upon the earth and, and oppress the saints and persecute those who keep the commandments of God and the faith in Jesus. So it all is crescendoing. It's all just building up to this climatic moment where if this continued flesh, everybody would be killed because that is the principal aim of the enemy is to wipe out mankind and destroy the creation, which yeah. is why the father says I'm coming to in revelation 11 to destroy those who are destroying the earth. Uh, in addition to persecuting his elects, his, his righteous, his saints, those who trust in him and worship him. And I think it's uh, it's fascinating to me that um, just simply logistically, Ken, just on the, the hunger alone, this would not persist. Like, so there's no, there's no long-term plan when this stuff starts to happen. It's just the enemy showing up going, let's enact our 42 month plan to destroy as much as we can. If, and if we can, we want to kill everything and everybody and destroy the earth in all ways before he returns. Because when he returns, it's prophesied that he restores all things. That's right. Right. Yeah. So that's why he has to come back. He has to save people out of, you know, he resurrects some out of Sheol. He saves others from their first death on the earth uh, because there's no more food, which is why you and I have already done an entire show on Leviathan and behemoth. You know, and that seems to be like, that seems to be the interim first first option for food basically yeah like before before <laughs> things can be restored before the water of life will flow out of the new jerusalem to restore the waterways the rivers and the seas of the earth so that good water can be then used for planting and and you know growing crops there's going to be an interim time where it looks like at the very beginning behemoth and leviathan are used for food but then the people are at come to the city and they can get free food from within the city until they start to repair the land and grow food and crops later so yeah yeah absolutely man and you you already said it briefly there um part of this is in this sentence here and he shall summon my despised people from all the nations and so that that in my opinion sean is what you just said the resurrection this first resurrection which is what we're looking for right this is yeah this is the promise that we get to inherit the the land of promise the new jerusalem Right. And, uh, That's Deuteronomy yeah. 30, verse 4. And I will gather you from all the nations under heaven where I scattered you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's amazing. 
So this is, and here's something that Ken, you know, I, I know this is, we're kind of at the end of the show here and um, unfortunately not everybody watches till the end, but if you're still listening right here, guys, this is something that I just want to have you hopefully give you a nugget to chew on for this, for the rest of the week. Okay. Whenever we talk about the resurrection and you see verses in the scriptures that talk about how the father will bring his, his people to him into the promised land at the end of days. And it talks about these with very real qualities. This There's a disconnect in terms, Kim, that I've noticed over time that people, they believe in the resurrection and they believe in these verses about a literal regathering, but they don't seem to put the two together to understand that when you're resurrected, you're a real person again. <laughs> Absolutely. So you're going to be spoken of in real person terms. Yeah. So this is not meaning you need food, just like Jesus showed up. John chapter 20 shows up in the room with disciples. He's like, I'm hungry. You guys got anything to eat? And they gave him some fish. So he's resurrected. He's a real person. We also see him uh, cooking breakfast on the seat, on the, the, the edge of the lake there for the disciples. He's a real person. He's using real fire, real wood, real food, probably caught some fish or just told the fish to jump out of the ocean to him. Who knows? And he's, he's had to really fillet the fish and get the scales off. Right, he had to actually prep the food and cook it for them. So, guys, this is real, tangible things that are happening. When we're resurrected, we're real again. Like you're going to be back. You're going to have your thoughts, and you're going to remember your life. You're going to be resurrected with a new heart, but you're going to be able, but because you'll be perfected, you'll have the emotional temperance to handle the pain that you remembered from your life or the persecution you suffered unto death, which caused your first death. The whole point is you're a real person again. You're not some wispy ghost. Yeah. So whenever we see all these prophecies about the Father gathering his people from all across the world, wherever we've been scattered under heaven, that's because when you're resurrected, you're a real person again. I I'm sorry to belabor like, this. No, Sean, just like Pinocchio, right? I'm a real boy. We, we're going to be right. real people, absolutely. And yeah, I just see a huge misunderstanding amongst folks that when we talk about this, they can't seem to grasp this. Uh, you know, Jeremiah 23 uh, it's Jeremiah 31. Um, you got all these prophecies in here that talk about the regathering Deuteronomy chapter 30. And it's like, they, they just, they forget that, that the regathering because it speaks about people and they think, Oh, well that, that can't be the resurrected saints. And you're like, no, no, you're still a person when you're, you're resurrected, yeah. you know, like that you're, and you're, again, yeah, you're, and you're still again. considered nations, right? You're still considered yes. people from a nation's whatever, right? It's just now you're yeah. in a compartment waiting for that resurrection. It's your real body. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's, I don't know if I said it well, or if I explained it properly. I just, I just think that I've just noticed a lot of people get tripped up on that idea. Yeah, no, you explained it perfectly, Sean. And I know you're working on a video where you were, you're releasing a video that talks about all this stuff, right? What the resurrection yeah. body is going to be like. I am as well. It's going to be called Spirit and Water on my channel, Sean, which is called Hang on His Words. If you brothers and sisters want to head over there and check that out, that'll be awesome. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's amazing, Sean. I mean, we only get a snapshot, really of what our resurrection body is going to be like exemplified through Yeshua, right? We only, we only get a little bit, but there's enough that we can, we can just see what ours is going to be like, and it should provide joy for the believer for what's to come for them. And also we have some extra biblical books that talk about what our bodies are going to be like as well. Some of the okay. prophets, the physiology, the physics involved with it, but yeah, it's fascinating stuff. It's worth it. Yeah. It's amazing. Both in Enoch and in second Baruch. Um, but just like you said, Jesus, he showed us, a little bit, but to me, it's enough to show yeah. us, you know, what it's like. He can appear and disappear like the wind. Um, 
but he can uh, eat food and be real and, and hang out with people and hug people and, you know, and speak, yeah. you know, it, like I just, there's a lot there and that's understanding the Elohim body, the body of angels, which is what we're promised at the resurrection. So Sean, he can fly. He can fly. That's right. Yes. Or he can make himself lighter than the density that pulls us down today. <laughs> <laughs> there's that option too. Yeah. Yeah, I, which makes sense if you're made of spirit and water instead of being made of soil and spirit, um, that you would have a lighter nature to you anyway. That's true. Yeah. I, I, I often wonder about that, Sean. Uh, I know that we're kind of branching off here real quick, but it, didn't it say when Yahweh created um, like the birds that they were formed out of the water? I believe so, yeah. So I wonder, like, because they are obviously flesh and I guess water, um, I just wonder if it's that water character that allows for flying or, or yeah. I mean. Well, they claim it's the birds bones are super hollow and stuff yeah. like that. You know, that they're so much lighter by weight and that, that it creates, but there's also some physics involved in how their wings move and create the lift. Um, but at the same time, Shua didn't have wings, but he just floated up, you know, because to me, what I, what I um, will be talking about in my video um, about these bodies of angels or bodies of the resurrected saints, which are one and the same, is this concept of how it has mastery over the creation itself. That's just kind of the point of, because you've been now entrusted to be able to be like that, because yeah. you've been given this perfected heart from the Father, which will always keep his perfect instructions, which means you're gonna walk in love and responsibility, and you're not gonna abuse any powers that you have now. So you have mastery over the creation to do stuff like we see Jesus do after his resurrection, yeah. which is just a wonderful promise in itself. Amen, brother, I can't wait for that video. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> me neither. <laughs> I'm trying, trying so hard to, to get the time um, to finish it up properly. But uh, Ken, other, other, anything else in this one that you want to talk about real quick? Um, just here at the end where it says, for Yahweh had hoped that they would come, they being those who you know were, I guess, unrighteous in the world. He, would ho he hoped that they would come to him in repentance rather than loving strange gods, but they forsook the mighty Lord and went the way that they willed to go. So, Yeah, I think we just you know. read that, right? In Revelation, um, what was it, Revelation 9, where it says, and they refused to repent of their immorality and their godless, you know, their idolatry and everything. Yeah. yeah, it's so bizarre to think that they would refuse at this juncture, you know, to, yeah. to repent. And then, of course, in Enoch 62 and 63, we see that he, he does bring some of the kings of the earth before him, and they try to fake repentance, which I think is interesting, yeah. um, which they're like, oh, yeah, we, we acknowledge that you're king. And, and he's like, yeah, you, you guys have already <laughs> – he basically just judges him righteously as he should. And he's like, yeah, you're not going to placate me. I know your deeds, your hearts, because he can see the thoughts and tents of the heart, right? Exactly, yeah. And so he judges them um, because they were not in actual repentance. So they were just – they were being uh, sorted out, Matthew 25, sheep and goats. Yeah. But yeah, there's there's a lot in here. Um, and what, what's interesting is that it, it continues, Ken, it continues to talk about strange gods, just like in the Revelation passage I just read, right? They did not repent of their murders or idolatries or sources, worshiping things of stone and wood and gold and silver. I'm just amazed that they would that we have this concept here that, in the reality of even when you have the unclean spirits, the Shadim, as we talked about, you know, that are mentioned in Brute, the specters, the, in my opinion, the Revelation 9 things, entities that come out of the pit with the polyon, the releasing of the unclean spirits back onto the earth, even when you have those in your face 
and you realize like these are these are not truly gods you know what i'm saying people yeah. are still so brainwashed and, and so in love with with you know unrighteousness and every all the trappings of it right that they still even in the face of the king of glory and the angels true and holy things righteous and pure things they're still choosing the darkness instead of the light and it just it breaks my heart but that's the way it's yeah. going to be yeah and it's because as he says it's they willed to go that way and it's yeah. part of free will right i mean abraham even got to see that with um his father tara his Yahweh said, well, your father, he had the same free will. Why didn't he listen to you, right? Like, why didn't he listen to this sound um, voice of reason and, and lawfulness? Instead, he chose to continue doing what he wanted to do. And then thus came his death. <laughs> but yeah, man, it's 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 interesting for sure. Yeah. And, and as of course, just as we've talked about in previous episodes, breaking down the idea of what Sheol is. And I think that was episode seven. We talked about Sheol, Tartarus, and the prison of stars here in Honor of Kings. We were looking into uh, Enoch's description of Sheol. We've got another mention of that right here at the end of, of chapter 31 in the Apocalypse of Baruch, where it says, I've prepared for them to be food for the fire of Hades. That's a Greek word that is also the concept of Sheol, right? Then sure. this is, he's prepared for them food to be fire of Sheol and perpet perpetual flight throughout the air in the underworld for they shall see the righteousness of the creator and those whom he now honors and they shall be ashamed. And then as you, we already just talked about, they refuse to repent. So this whole concept is, this is what we were talking about earlier. Enoch 63, the judgment, Matthew 25, people are brought to him. We're already resurrected and right and into the new Jerusalem. So it's not talking about us. It's talking about the survivors of the nations, the, the same people in revelation six fourteen, where it says the Kings of the earth, they tried, they wanted the rocks to fall on them to hide them from the wrath of the lamb. Well, even if a rock did fall on them and try to hide them, the angels are going to pick up that rock and they're going <laughs> to literally pull these these you know slump these scumbags out from under the rock, and they're going to bring them up before Yeshua. And I mean, playfully in my head, I just wonder if Yeshua's like, "What rock did they drag you out from under?" You know? And just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah, exactly. Literally, right? And so they're brought before him, and he judges them because he knows the thoughts and sense of their heart, and their deeds have been recorded in heaven. And so at this point, they're cast into shield. They're killed by the sword, just like we see Elijah do with the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings uh, chapter 19 and 20. They're killed by the sword and they're cast into Sheol to await the great white throne judgment on the day um, at the end of the millennium. Yeah. So this is the sequence of events that we went over for like an hour and a half in episode seven of Honor of Kings called Sheol, Tartarus, and the Prison of Stars. So if you haven't seen that episode, go back and check it out. It'll help you with a lot of context to what we just read here in chapter 31 of the apocalypse of Abraham. Yeah, man. And it's, it's interesting because these people are going to try to get as far away from this as possible. Right. Though, though they dig to Sheol, he will bring them right. there. Yeah. yeah. And though they go to the depths of the sea, his sea serpent is going to be there for them, which is interesting. But do you remember that no verse from him? No one. Yeah, Ken, I think, and that's here in Amos 9. I said it wrong. I think I said Amos 2 9, but I said it backwards. It's in Amos 9, verse 2 and 3 is what you're referencing here about no one's going to be able to hide from him on the day of the Lord, right? These kings of the earth, no matter, you know, not only can they not go anywhere because they're enclosed by a firmament anyway, but <laughs> they're going to actually try to hide. And um, it says, though they, in verse 2, though they dig into Sheol, from there my hand will take them. Though they ascend to heaven, from there I'll bring them down. Though they hide on the summit of Carmel, I will search them out and take them from there. And though they conceal themselves from my sight on the floor of the sea, from there I will command the serpent and will bite them. So 
I mean, I just, there's, there's been so many speculations as far as like Nephilim technology on the bottom of the sea, living, living under the sea, which is where we get all this lore of, you know, Atlantis underground, all this kind of stuff. And I just wonder, it's like, how are they hiding on the bottom of the sea? You know, what is going on there? But it doesn't matter where they try to hide. And they're digging into Sheol. And if you, like, again, go see the episode we broke down Sheol and what that is, like, that's a crazy statement for to say they're trying to dig into Sheol. Yeah. yeah you know, okay. and we actually see this in uh, Revelation or Isaiah 24, another chapter all about the day of the Lord, where it talks about how, you know, those who came out of the pit will try to get back into the pit. When the, and when they're hiding and running on the day of the Lord, yeah. <laughs> and they'll fall into the par- the snare, they'll fall into a trap, basically. But um, but even if they do get back into the pit and go down to Sheol, they're going to be pulled up from there because this is the day of judgment. Yeah, exactly, exactly, brother. Yeah, great episode, so, man. This was a fun. This was a really fun one. There's yeah. a lot of meat here, and yeah, man, we, we're going like to have to get back to some of this stuff, Sean, because I mean, it requires to go through it with a fine, you know tooth comb so absolutely man guys thank you for joining us here episode 19 this has been a fun one we went over there pockets of abraham um, chapters 28 through 32 just finished out the book but because it ties so directly into um second esdras and also parts of second baruch which is called the apocalypse of baruch um, that's going to be our last episode next week and we're going to have a special guest host with us adam fink from parable of vineyard so be sure to be here with us next week and because we're going to compare these these judgments that we just read about, these 12 parts of time, these, these ages of time in which these judgments take place. We're going to compare those 12 parts to its mentions in both 2nd Ezra's and also the Apocalypse of Baruch. Um, and then, of course, as always, compare them against the canon. So we appreciate you for joining us. Ken, anything you'd like to say before we sign off? No, I just did. I'm, I'm good to go, man. I, I had a really good time with you, brother. This was an awesome episode. I love this book. And I just hope that you brothers and sisters have enjoyed our discussion and um, continue testing it. And just uh, like I said earlier, if you have any comments, leave them in the comment section below. We'll try to get to them. And uh, we just appreciate you. Thank you so very much for joining us. Thank you for joining us, guys. We hope to see you next week.